Well, we live in a world that creates fragile people. We have such an interest in our own comfort that we can hardly suffer at all. I mean, think about it. Some of you today are about ready to expire because the air conditioning isn't working right. And we live in air-conditioned homes and we go, you know, we go into our garages and we get into our air-conditioned cars and we drive away and we, we, we go to Goodwill and we take better clothes to Goodwill to get rid of than most of the world has ever had. All of the entertainment, companionship that we need and experience we have right in front of us on our phones all the time, 24-7. Really, everything that we uh, are after comes relatively easy to us. And you have, I mean... It just does. It's just there. It's just who we are and where we live and when we live. And what it does is that it makes us fragile. Add to that, add to that a religion that doesn't really deal with all of life. A religion that deals only with the, the good feelings or the good experiences tries to create an environment of, uh, you know, entertainment. And not our church, but many churches. So that the people can shop for a church. They can come and they can enjoy a production. And so what religion becomes is this production to try and please a consumer. And we end up Judging the reality of the truth that we hear based on how it makes us feel. Of course, that will make us fragile. Because we will gravitate to the easiest, the most comfortable situation we can find. We're pre-programmed to do that. That's our human nature. It's uh, no real surprise then that when we're not comfortable enough, when there is some kind of affliction, whether it's, a, whether it's health, whether it's mental health, whether it's in a relationship that we have in our family or at work that we are so frustrated with, maybe even in church, the natural tendency is First of all, to run away from it, if we can. And the second is to figure out that there's some problem with God. Because God really, in a modern way of looking, owes us comfort. He owes us happiness. He owes us health. He owes us good relationship. And if for some reason we are going toward God and He doesn't give us those things, well, that's a good reason to get rid of Him. Because he's not really helping us, right? I mean, I'm just going to say that I think is the emotional and spiritual environment that we live in. This morning, we're going to 
look at Psalm 38. So if you don't have your Bible open, I want to invite you to take your, your Bibles and find Psalm 38. And when you do, you will notice that this psalm is not a comfortable psalm. It really says almost the opposite of the narrative of our culture. The narrative that says everything must be comfortable and easy and peaceful and we all need to get along. Psalm 38 is what's classified as a lament psalm. A lament is simply a heartfelt cry to the Lord to do something about a desperate situation. It's a heartfelt cry for God to do something about a desperate situation. Now, when I talk about emotional fragility, I think one of the greatest remedies is to be reading your Bible. Because, and, and in particular, to be reading the Psalms. Because it turns out that more than one out of every three psalms is a lament psalm. There is a complaint of some kind, a cry over injustice, over uh, misfortune, over uh, sickness in more than one out of every three psalms. That's a predominant theme in more than one out of three. And Christians who read their psalms, who embrace the entire emotional spectrum that is presented in God's Word, are less fragile, or should be, if they believe it, should be less fragile than the people around them who only hear and only experience a narrative of comfort and ease. So let's read Psalm 38 and you'll you'll, you'll recognize immediately. This is a Psalm of David for the memorial offering. O Lord, rebuke me not in Your anger nor discipline me in Your wrath. For Your arrows have sunk into me and Your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of Your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before You. My sighing is not hidden from You. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. The light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt Speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. I'm like a deaf man. I do not hear. 
like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear, in whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me who boasts against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous and they are mighty. And many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. There are a lot of psalms that have positive elements. Rejoicing, praising, happiness. Okay, this isn't one of them. There are a lot of psalms that have uh, the character of God on full display His steadfast love and faithfulness. His loving kindness and tender mercies. The fact that He is so delightful as, as though He was a fountain of life. That's not here either. What's here is a lament from a man who is sick and a man who has enemies. And he finds that his personal relationship with God is the one thing that offers hope when life is hard and when people are against him. The one thing that brings resolution for him is this personal relationship with God that he has. And so I want you to see it. Now, I don't know if you picked it up in the reading, but there are two issues here for this, for David as he writes this. One is that he is sick, and the other is that he has enemies. And the, the first half of this is spent on the sickness. The second third of it is on the enemies. And then he goes back to sickness, then back to enemies, and then he gets the resolution. So it's like, I don't know if you've gone into those, uh, I don't know, a restaurant or somewhere, a uh, hotel where they have these big funnels and you're supposed to put a quarter in and you watch it go around and around and around and around and around and, around and then falls in. The psalm is structured a little bit like that where you've got the first part is the, uh, his dealing with his own sickness. And then he comes around to the second part where he's dealing with his enemies. And he goes back to the sickness and back to the enemies. And then the resolution at the end. So that's just the way we're going to take it. And you're going to see as we do that his personal relationship with God is the foundation of his hope when his health is bad and his friends are against him. This is a psalm of David for the memorial offering. That's what um, that's how the ESV translates the the title, and it, it, it literally is for a memorial rather than for a memorial offering. Uh, some of some of the other translations have that as a title, and I would suggest to you that David is probably writing this later on. He's not writing it the night he's sick. He's probably writing it 
you know, a couple months later, maybe a couple years later, reflecting back on being sick, reflecting back on his troubles with his enemies, and he, this is his memorial. And I suspect that he's also writing it down for you and for me so that uh, he's recommending, hey, this is something good to remember. I want you to remember this uh, psalm because it will help when you are suffering. And the theme is out front. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. If you go on, it talks about his, his suffering and his sickness. Your hand has come down on me, your arrows have sunk into me, and there's no soundness in my flesh, there's no health in my bones. And what he's dealing with is a sickness that he understands to be the Lord's rebuke and the Lord's discipline. Now, this poses a problem for us. We just, uh, those of you who have been in church for the uh, most of uh, 2018, have, have been through Romans, where there is therefore now no condemnation, right, for those in Christ Jesus. And here, David understands that it, the Lord's wrath is upon him. I mean, first of all, he's got to be really sick to experience that kind of feeling that God is really upset with him in his sickness. Second of all, I want to suggest to you that th- this whole psalm is framed in this intimate personal relationship with God where God is correcting him, not condemning him. That this rebuke, this discipline, this anger, this wrath is not a condemning wrath like a stranger might condemn someone who does something wrong, but this is more a correcting wrath that a father would have toward a child. And even as I suggest that to you, I also want to suggest that it is not wrong for God to be angry with sin. So we think, I mean, again, sort of the the soup that we swim in is suggests to us that God is only nice. That God would never do anything to cross anyone. And when you have that view of God, first of all, you don't have a biblical view of God. And second of all, when you do get crossed, you have nothing to go on. But here the first thing he considers is that my sickness represents a problem between me and God. Have you ever considered that? That some hardship in your life is God disciplining you Rebuking you, saving you from yourself? And if not, maybe you should. Maybe this is a prompt for you. Your, your suffering is a prompt for you to, to engage your vertical relationship with God and get it squared away first. 
Now, not every um, sickness is a result of sin and not every sin causes somebody to be sick. And I'm not saying that you need this you know, elaborate you know, self-examination where you just are so hard on yourself that you can't uh, even see straight. That everything is bad and gloomy. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm simply suggesting that it's a possibility that you should consider and you should take the opportunity for this suffering to point you back to a merciful God. I'm just going to tell you right now and I'm going to leave and I'm going to bring it up again. But the, if there was a one-to-one correlation between your sin and your sickness or an opposite correlation between your uh, sin and your success, so you don't have any sick, sin, you have a lot of success. If there was a one-to-one correlation in some regard like that, we wouldn't need the same level of faith that we do. And, there would, and it would seem to me that everything would be easy and transparent and all we need to do would be like a, a rat in a maze where we just avoid the shock and we're good and we don't really embrace the character of God. But one of the reasons that we read through the Bible like we do, and, and we're going psalm after psalm after psalm, is because it's not very long until we get to Psalm 44, where he confesses, God, if I had sinned, if your people here had sinned, we would understand why you're treating us so badly. In other words, there's no correlation in 44 between sin and suffering. But there is here. So I'm just going to flag that for you. It could be, it could not be. It's something you should consider every time uh, you come before the Lord. So, your hand has come down on me. This is the same phrase that, that, um, that's used of Pharaoh. God's hand was hard on Pharaoh when He delivered, Egypt, or delivered the Israelites from Egypt. That's how David, the king, the anointed king, understands God's behavior toward him the same as it might be toward God's enemies. Very difficult. There's no soundness in my flesh, no health. And now here comes, here comes the insight. Because of my sin. There's no health because of my sin. He is able, as he is interacting with God, to determine that there is a connection between his suffering and his sin. And that causes him to do spiritual work. That enables him, instead of being fragile and running away from God and saying, God, why are you doing this to me? He says, I know why you're doing this to me. And instead of running away, he runs toward God to say, the only hope I have in this sickness then is that I might know you. And you might deliver me. Again, my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. See, he's got sin, iniquities, foolishness. He's got the whole thing here. Which makes me realize 
It's probably a pretty obvious connection for him. If it's not obvious for you between your sickness and your uh, sin or your suffering and your sin, then you probably don't need to spend a long time laboring, but recognize that God has a prerogative to use your health or your circumstances to announce to you your sin. That's what he did here for David. And he goes, he goes on. I mean, this is really the bulk of the psalm. I'm utterly bowed down and prostrated all day long. All the day I go about in darkness. Literally, I go about in darkness. That's another way to translate morning. For my sides are filled with burning. There's no soundness in my flesh. And he makes a turn then from his physical health to his emotions, right? I'm feeble and crushed and I groan because of the tumult of my heart. So, emotional distress is a signal for him as well of his spiritual state. Oh Lord, and this is a personal relationship I'm talking about. This is where his hope is. All my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. His hope is not that he's got a doctor's appointment next Thursday. His hope is not that uh, his essential oils are somehow going to help him. His hope is that the God of the universe is his God. That his longing for God in his suffering is now the only hope he has for deliverance. My sighing is not hidden from you. You, you, O God, see my suffering. Which I'm just going to suggest to you, when you're suffering, one of the things that I uh, have been encouraged uh, in the last several years to pray is, I mean, I just think about being a parent and my own kids suffering and doing what I can to alleviate their sadness and their hurt. And sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. But have you ever thought about appealing to God and saying, God, I'm overwhelmed because of my suffering here. If I had a child that was suffering like I'm suffering, God, I would do everything in my power to relieve him. God, all my longing is for you. My sighing is not hidden from you. Would you save me? See, I I think it's really legitimate to approach God on the basis of the relationship that you have with Him because of Jesus. Again, he rehearses. His heart throbs. His strength fails. His light's gone out of his eyes. And then he has bigger problems. Just like Job, whose friends stayed away when he was sick, now his friends and companions stand aloof from his plague and the nearest of kin stand far off. Now, adding insult to injury. He has, he is lonely as well as diseased. And that is, you might say, the straw that breaks the camel's back for him. He has nothing to hope for from other people. Now think about that. 
Some of you here, I'm sure, are lonely. Just like some of you here are sick or hurting. And you're wondering, what is God doing here? And why is this, why is my life the way it is? You need a lament in your life. A cry out to God to say, God, this is the way it is. I'm lonely and I'm hurting. Hear me. That's what Psalm 38 is. It's that prayer. And when he starts to focus on how lonely he is, it gets worse from being lonely. Now he's got this, this circle of enemies who are about to come after him. Okay, so now we're on the second part of this. Seek my life. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin. They meditate treachery. They are after me. I have no defense. I can't, I can't speak against them because like a deaf man, I can't, you know, it's like I can't hear them. Uh, like a mute man, I have nothing to say in my own defense. They are Enemies, and they will succeed. And then here we go. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. This, you might say, is the, is the camera shot. If, if, he's, if the rest of it's in front where he just is suffering, here is the camera shot from behind where we can see what really is going on. But for You, O Lord, do I wait. It is You, O Lord, my God, who will answer. See, one of the things I just want to suggest to you when you're suffering, you, have, you don't have a lot of options, right? If you're sick, you don't have a lot of options, spiritually speaking. You don't have a lot of options with regard to God. You can say, God, why are you doing this to me? I'm, I've had enough. I'm out of here. You have that option. That's an option a lot of people take. You really only have one other option. And that's to press in and say, God, if I'm going to be sick, I would rather be sick with You. God, if I'm sick... If I'm hurting, if people are against me, I'd rather be in that with you than in it alone. Being in it alone would be overwhelming. And so, that's, that's really his, uh, his centerpiece right here in verse 15. For he goes back and just says, don't let them rejoice over me. And his first climax is, you are my God. You will answer me. Then he goes back around. Here's the second pass. For I'm ready to fall and my pain is ever before me. Now here he takes action. This is the first time, other than the fact that he's already praying, this is his first action. And he says, I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. Don't don't act in such a way, don't believe in such a way that you say, I am already a Christian. God has already forgiven my sin and so I don't need to confess my sin any longer. There are people who 
who suggest that that once you become a Christian, that that they're all the sins are taken care of and you don't have to deal with it anymore. And I just want to suggest to you that that yes, the cross of Jesus is enough to deal with all of your sin, and when you confess him, he does forgive your sin. But there still is in this personal relationship with God uh, that you have, there is something between you and God. Isaiah 59 2 says, Your sins have separated you from God. Part of the pain is this spiritual distance that you have with God. And so, the, the action to take is to confess or admit it. To say the same thing about your sin as God does. And then I love, I love that He fleshes out and says, I am sorry. This, what I have done, God, to hurt you hurts me. That's what it means to confess and repent. And confession and repentance is a um, great action to take when you're suffering. Again, you don't have to you don't have to make stuff up to confess. A lot of people will say, "Oh God, I just I don't know what I did, but I'm just." That's not that's not what he's talking about here. He knows what he's done, and he's sorry for it. He goes back around to his uh, enemies. Those who render me evil for good, if, because I follow after good, that's they're still a problem. And then here we get to the very bottom of this funnel when he finds some resolution. So God, don't forsake me. O oh Lord, my God, be not far from me. So it's interesting to me, and I, I couldn't help but notice this because I've been dealing with a bunch of these psalms. There's not a loving kindness. There's not a tender mercies. There's, not a, there's no expression of the character of God. All there is is this personal relationship that says, God, I know You're my God. God, I know You love me. And you know what? That's enough. That's enough. And so he prays, don't forsake me. Don't be far from me. Make haste to help me. O Lord, my salvation. And you might say, this, is, this has been a downer, this sermon. This psalm is a bummer. And guess what it is? And if, if, if you're not in a place right now where you can uh, appreciate that, then I am happy for you. But there will come a day when you need to recognize that it's your relationship with God that it's that that sustains you in your suffering and nothing more. It's that that draws you back when you would rather run. And it's your prayer to God to make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. It's that prayer that offers you 
the very, very, very bottom hope that can't be taken away from you. And that's what I commend to you this morning. Now, there's even more there, really. Because even this last phrase, Help me, O Lord, my salvation. Points us to why I can pray that. See, I can pray, help me, O Lord, my salvation, because there is one who is like David. Who is an anointed Messiah. We call Him Jesus, whose name means salvation. And all throughout the Psalms, he, the experience of Jesus parallels the experience of David or the psalmist. And here they're, they're parallel in so many ways because David cries out in his sickness, in his suffering, Oh Lord, don't forsake me. And Jesus on the cross cries out, my God, my God, why have You forsaken me? Why had God forsaken Him? Because it is by His stripes that we are healed. It is because the Lord forsook Jesus that you and I have the hope of healing. David had enemies that were wrongfully against him who hated him for doing good. He prayed for deliverance and God delivered him. Jesus had enemies who hated Him for doing good and they were wrongfully His enemies. And God did not deliver Jesus from them. So that by His death, you might be restored to God. It is really because Jesus' enemies got the upper hand on Him temporarily that you have the hope of this personal relationship with God upon which this psalm is built. It's really because Jesus ultimately was delivered from uh, death by the resurrection, that this is certain that God is able to do a much smaller thing. If He is able to raise the dead, He certainly can heal a sick person. If God is able to conquer the final enemy of death, He certainly can protect and deliver from the enemies that you and I might have. And so really it is because Jesus is this greater David. It is because Jesus does what David, though suffering and alone and with enemies, could not do. Jesus does so that all those who come after might have as a memorial 
Psalm 38. We might have a prayer to pray that is very simply, God, don't forsake me. Don't be far from me. Make haste to help me. O Lord, my salvation. I want to give you a few moments just to talk to the Lord. I mean, I... This is not the, the, the time really when a pastor might tell a joke. This is really the time where we have to examine our relationship with God and say, God, is there some sin in me that is causing my life not to work right? If there is, confess it. Be sorry for it. Forsake it. Ask God then to restore you and to heal you. And so what, really, that's the message of Psalm 38. And the confidence that you and I have to both confess our sin, it's to know that He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Because we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That is the hope that we have. And so, what I want to do for the next few minutes is just let you pray in silence. And if it's confessing your sin, if it's asking God to heal you, if it's asking God... really on behalf of someone else, to represent them in the same vein as Psalm 38. So that God is not far from any of us. That's what I really hope for. I I don't hope that you come to church and get all inspired and get a fake plastered smile on your face. I hope that deep down at the very bottom, you have a rock-solid hope in a God who can deliver and heal. Because you have a personal relationship with God. I'm going to give you a few minutes to do that. I'll just start us off in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are, we are not all that we, are, we think we should be. We're not all that we hope we will be. Father, our lives are imperfect at best. And so God, I want to ask that You would be gracious to us. Would you help us today? To, if there's sin that's, that's causing uh, some conflict or some rift between you and us, would you bring that to our minds? Give us grace to confess it and repent of it. And God, would you restore us?